0: This week, on Myths and Legends, there are two stories of jacks and giants. On the first, we'll see a very simple way to get to sleep. Just count your massive bags of gold that we all have. On the second, we'll see how embroidery can put your life at risk. The creature this week is actually an epic beast from Greek mythology, who is the scourge of the land. Or so Theseus says, because he was the one that killed her. And he wasn't just trying to pad his epic hero resume because she was just a normal human thief. Nope, not at all. This is Myths and Legends, episode 97 Sleeping Giant. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week's episode is brought to you by Spotify. Whether you're in a podcast about ghastly crimes or hip-hop rhymes, there's always something new to discover on Spotify. With a mix of originals and many of the world's most popular shows, listening to podcasts on Spotify is easy. Just open the app, tap browse, and dive into their growing library. Subscribe to your favorites, including our entire archive, so you'll never miss a show. You can also download podcasts for those moments when you're up in the air or going underground. Podcasts on Spotify are streaming right now, so go check them out. Jack and the Beanstalk, and Jack the Giant Killer, while two different Jacks, both come from a similar folklore tradition of Jack stories. As we've talked about, some characters in folklore have similar names. There's Ivan in Slavic folklore, Hans in German folklore, and Jack in the US and British folklore. Those are all variations of the name John, and thus, are just sort of placeholder names for a male folklore hero. They have virtually no relation to the others, and as we saw in the Prince Ivan stories, a character can have the same name, title, and fight the same enemies, but they could still be different characters. It speaks to our love of new stories, and that it's really difficult to think up names of characters. Alright, enough of that. We'll just jump right in to the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. I'm gonna level with you. Our best milk cow for five magic beans doesn't seem like a good deal. Jack told the strange old man he had met on the road. The man shrugged. It had been worth a shot. He guessed that this kid wasn't as hopelessly stupid as he looked. It seems like a great deal, Jack blurted out to the man's surprise. Jack confirmed that if the beans didn't work, he could get a refund, right? The man asked if Jack knew his name. Jack shook his head. No. Where he lived? No. Anything about him at all? No. Oh, okay, said the man. Then yeah, full 90-day return policy. Here are your beans, kid. Sometimes parents just don't understand. Jack's mom didn't understand that the beans were magic. It's a scam, she said. Of course. She was always on his case about how he was fired from every job he ever had and was single-handedly causing this family to descend into crushing poverty. She let him keep the beans though, and he planted them outside his window. When he was rolling in those sweet, sweet green bean profits, you'd show her. Jack fell asleep that night, comforted by his completely unearned sense of accomplishment. The next morning, he slept late. Well, later than usual. He awoke feeling well-rested, went to his window, and threw back the curtains. But, it was still dark. That's funny. The stars and moon were gone too. Everything was just black. He poked his head out the window to take a look around, and smashed his face on the thick beanstalk that had sprouted in front of him. Nursing a bloody nose, he put on some clothes and ran out the front door to see what was blocking his window. Wow, it was a massive beanstalk that had grown up into the clouds. It was just a couple of arm lengths wide, but it looked sturdy enough to climb. He shrugged. Climbing a magic vine to nowhere on an empty stomach and without any ropes or safety mechanisms seemed like a great way to spend the morning. Finding some handholds, Jack started to climb. Even before reaching the clouds, Jack could see that he had made a horrible mistake. Climbing, as it turned out, was really hard. Displaying that same intellectual acumen that had led to him starting the climb in the first place, Jack decided that he could go that extra few hundred feet to the clouds. There, he would just pop off the beanstalk, rest on a cloud, they always look so fluffy, and then simply head back down. Fortunately, he made it. With fingers barely able to grip the plant, he found the edge of the cloud, and climbed off the beanstalk, panting and bathed in sweat. It wasn't miles upon miles of cloud stretching off toward that beautiful horizon. Well, it was, but it was also a cottage, and a farm, and an ogre woman, sitting on the porch of said farm. Jack stood, brushed himself off, and set off toward the ogre woman, who was wary of this little visitor. In typical Jack form, the boy said exactly what was on his mind. Hello there, mind making me some breakfast? He was very hungry after all, and he had gone straight from bed to climbing a magic bean tower to the sky, and that tended to make one hungry. What are you doing? The ogre woman asked. No, get out of here, or else you'll become breakfast. My husband, also an ogre if you're wondering, His favorite food is broiled boys on toast, which is somehow worse than it sounds, and it sounds pretty bad. Jack looked at the top of the beanstalk, and the long climb down. Yeah, no, he wasn't doing that again on an empty stomach. So he begged the lady ogre for some food. He hadn't eaten since yesterday. And they were actually starving down there while he was waiting for a bean-related investment to pay off. He looked squarely at the ogre. Didn't matter if he was broiled. It would be less painful than dying of hunger the ogre wife took a step forward. That wasn't remotely true, but looking left and right and seeing that her husband was not in sight, she told the boy to come inside. She could find something. Jack wasn't halfway through with his cheese and bread when the milk on the table began to ripple. The ogre wife jumped to her feet. Her husband was home early. The boy had to hide right away. She threw open the oven and told Jack to hustle inside if he wanted to live. Jack gobbled another bite of cheese and paused. The oven? Seriously? The ogre woman slammed it shut. Fine, he could stay out in the open and be assured of dying if he didn't trust her. Jack rolled his eyes, took his time finishing the cheese and downing the milk, and then dove into the oven, right as the doorknob began to turn. The ogre husband burst through the front door. He was in a bad mood. The supermarket was out of boys, so he'd gone to the expensive one downtown, but all they had was calves, which, yeah, he paid way too much for. But he was hungry. He tossed two dead calves on the table and asked his wife to broil them up for him for breakfast. But wait, what was that? What was what? The ogre wife asked. That smell. The ogre husband roared impatiently. The ogre wife rolled her eyes. Oh my gosh, not this again before the ogre husband started his poem, Fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll have his bones to grind my bread. The ogre wife rubbed her face before addressing her husband. Okay, honey, I'm only saying this because I love you. Stop trying to make fee-fi-fo-fum happen. It's not going to happen. And fum an Englishman, that's really a slant rhyme at best. And is it that you're going to grind his bones into bread? Or are going to make bone meal bread? I mean, I get that we're ogres, I do. But neither of those really sound good to me. Also, you're smelling blood now? And like, really specific blood of someone from England? The wife patted her husband on the shoulder. He had a lot of talents, but maybe not poetry. I'm just, it's something people say, okay? The ogre husband replied. It's not, dear, the ogre wife said. No one says that. Besides, you're probably just smelling the scraps of boy we ate for dinner last night. Go wash up, I'll cook your cows. Jack, realizing just how over his head he was in this situation, heard the ogre husband leave the room. He made a break for the door, but the ogre wife grabbed him and shoved him in a corner. Her husband would be back in a few moments. Jack would never make it. After breakfast, the ogre husband always went down for a nap. Jack could just sneak out then, After a hearty double portion of broiled calves, the ogre whipped out his giant bags of gold and sat for the next hour, counting them piece by piece. And yeah, that's something we still do after breakfast every day, but see? Things weren't that different back in the 1700s. People still ate breakfasts of full-grown baby animals and then counted their gold. Some things never change. It was like counting sheep, but a much more expensive version of that, because after an hour, the ogre started to nod off in his chair. Shortly after, He collapsed in a heap of snoring and uneaten calf bits. At this point, Jack, hiding behind a bag of flour in the corner, ventured to look around the room. He could make his break for it and head back down the beanstalk and leave this place forever, or he could show mom just how wrong she was. In the end, it wasn't even difficult. The ogre was not quite the food coma, and Jack simply rolled one of the unopened money bags out into the field of clouds. He'd had a hard enough time lifting it, but the bigger snag was the thought of carrying it down the beanstalk. He shrugged and gave it a swift kick. However many hundreds of feet down, Jack's mom thought she heard something whizzing through the sky above her. Then she was sure she heard something, as a hundred pound sack of gold crushed the scarecrow not three feet away from her. Ten minutes later, when Jack dismounted the beanstalk, he asked if she liked his little delivery. Jack's mom frowned. It was wildly irresponsible to drop hundreds of pounds without knowing what, or who, was below. The boy shrugged. (sighs) Whatever. They could buy a new scarecrow. And they did buy a new scarecrow. And way too much other stuff. Look, I'm not judging. I don't know what life was like for a fairytale farmer living in abject poverty in the 1700s. But, I feel like if you can't make a bag of gold the size of a small human last more than a couple of months, the problem might be you. Anyway, the time came when they were down to their last few gold pieces, and contemplating selling one of their animals, when Jack decided to roll the dice, with maybe getting eaten, or maybe getting obscenely rich again. The next morning, well after dawn, Jack, again, ascended the beanstalk. Maybe he was really committed to the ruse, or maybe he really didn't think things through, but either way, he set out before eating again. He arrived at the ogre's house, and again, the husband was away, and the wife was at home, Mrs. Ogre had pity on the boy, despite feasting on regular dinners of boys. Again, the milk began to ripple in Jack's cup as the husband Ogre approached. So, into the oven Jack dove, just like before. The husband slumped into his chair in a very bad mood this time, because he couldn't even get calves. He had to settle for oxen. He pinched the bridge of his nose and then took a deep breath. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll have his bones to grind my bread. Without looking up, he raised a hand and continued. And yes, before you even start workshopping my fee-fi-fo-fum, you know who else said fee-fi-fo-fum? I smell the blood of an Englishman, Sharon. Shakespeare. William Shakespeare. Mrs. Ogre paused. It was fee-fo-fum and British man, but whatever. Also, you're just smelling stuff again. Do you want me to cook up the oxen or what? He did, and again, he ignored the weirdly specific aroma of human blood and inhaled his breakfast. Immediately after, he decided to mix things up a bit. He wasn't just going to sit and count his gold. That was getting a bit old. No, instead, he asked his wife to bring him his hen that laid the golden eggs. The one that laid a golden egg any time someone said the word lay. After about five eggs, the ogre nodded off again, next to a very uncomfortable and overworked hen. The ogre wife was off in another room, when Jack slipped from the oven, snatched the exhausted hen from right next to the equally exhausted ogre husband, and took off down the beanstalk. It was a much longer climb down this time, he'd thought about it a bit, and refrained from tossing the bird hundreds of feet to the ground. Neither he, nor I, am sure if a hen can survive that sort of fall, so he put up with her waking up about halfway down and pecking at him, until they reached the ground. So, I don't know what the fairytale equivalent of mint.com is, probably an actual talking mint leaf that just yells at you about how much you're going out to eat. But if burning through a bag of gold, and a goose that lays golden eggs aren't keeping you afloat, you probably need to make some changes. Jack apparently didn't agree, because after some time, he did the exact same thing he had done before, and ascended the beanstalk. Now, I have to point out that many times the story is told, there's just the one trip up, and then down the beanstalk. But really, the beanstalk in the original stays up for like, months. There's this ridiculously tall beanstalk, that soars into the clouds right next to the farmhouse, that's growing suspiciously rich, and no one really addresses it. Anyway, for a third time, Jack climbed the beanstalk, but this time, decided to not demand breakfast. It might be because he only repays the wife's kindness by robbing them, and thought that they might be getting a bit resentful about it, but regardless, he slipped into the house, and hid in an empty water pail. We'll see what happens in Jack's third time in the house of a giant with a suspiciously good boy blood-related sense of smell, but that will be right after this. fee fi fo I smell the blood of an Englishman. Seriously, I really smell the blood of some English kid. And the last two times I smelled it, I lost my hen and a ridiculous amount of gold. I don't think those are false positives. The wife turned around. <sighs> I know, seriously. You know what? Check the oven. That's where the little guy usually hides. You do nice stuff for a kid, and he just takes and takes. I'm done with it. And this is getting a little played out, to be honest, she said. The husband stormed over to the oven and threw it wide open but it was empty, he went through all the cupboards and everything. Making a mental note to follow up with his wife about the whole oven thing later, but he didn't find Jack hiding in the water pail. Still, the smell of Jack's English blood infuriated him, and he couldn't calm down, so he asked his wife for his golden harp, so he could take his mind off that delicious smelling boy. She brought out the harp, the ogre barked a very polite, Alexa, sing now, and the harp started singing, and 10 minutes later, the ogre was asleep. The harp waited until the ogre began snoring, then promptly stopped singing, pulled out her phone, and waited for the ogre to stir before she started up again. Licensing fees weren't cheap. She was quite surprised when a very sneaky, very little man jumped from the corner, took her in his arms, and started his run out the door. The difference between a talking harp and a bag of gold is that a talking harp can talk. And even though the ogre was a bit rude, it was a good gig. She only had to work for like, ten minutes a week. As Jack ran off with her, and once she got over the, is this really happening bit, she yelled out, uh, master, someone's stealing me. Didn't even ask if I want to go with him. Wake up. Wake up. All right, we're out the door now. We're on the porch. We're leaving the porch. The ogre snapped awake, mainly from his harp yelling at him also mainly because that kid full of tantalizing English boy blood wafted right under his nose. He sprang to his feet and bounded out the door. Jack might have gotten away with it too, if not for the harp, narrating their entire journey. Jack looped the harp around his shoulder and began his climb. I have always wondered about the next part. The ogre isn't a giant giant. He's probably just three times the size of Jack, but he's still three times the size of Jack and can probably move a lot faster. Jack was also weighed down by a harp. Maybe the ogre took a long time finding the hole in the clouds with the beanstalk shooting out of it, I'm not sure. All I know is that Jack moved as fast as he could and glanced skyward just in time to see the ogre step onto the beanstalk above. He'd been found. The ogre would descend into their world and murder both he and his mother, unless... Mom! Mom! An axe! I need an axe! The mother heard off in the distance. I like to picture her calling back that she had talked to Jack about the yelling. She wasn't going to respond until he stopped yelling. He yelled louder that he had a magic talking harp, and an ogre was following them down the beanstalk to kill all of them, which I know is a really common excuse that we all used when we were kids, but luckily, Jack's mom looked out the window to see her son with a very angry harp slinger on his shoulder, and an ogre in hot pursuit. Axe, 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 axe! Jack shrieked. His mom tossing him the axe as he unslinged the harp from his shoulder. Jack could see the ogre was still pretty high up. Maybe, just maybe, it would work. He gave the beanstalk one hit, and it cracked and fell. As the ogre began to wobble up above, Jack couldn't help thinking that this was troublingly easy. He had been climbing this thing for weeks. Also, he should get inside. Scooping up the disgruntled harp, he followed his mom inside their house. The ogre whose only crime was killing and eating children, felt the beanstalk give way beneath him. Jack and his mom felt the earth shudder and stared outside. The stories say the ogre fell down and broke his crown, which is just a nice, rhyming, fairy tale way of saying the giant split his head open. As Jack and his mom watched the giant bleed out in their field, they knew that they were safe from the creature that they had repeatedly robbed and then baited into a situation leading to his death. The mom saw a solution to their money problems with the harp but Jack saw so much more. He put on his best attire and lugged the harp to the city. He returned without the harp, but with his new fiancée, the princess. Jack married into the royal family and one day became king. The singing harp did an exhausting eight shows per week residency at the palace and the giant's wife, who was essentially responsible for Jack's wealth and for keeping him safe from her husband twice, went looking for a spouse. However, with the beanstalk gone, the clouds had sealed the hole and she had no idea he even went down into the world of the humans. She would grow old, wondering what happened to the ogre she loved. But don't feel too bad for her. I mean, she still ate, like, a lot of children. There are many different versions of the story, and for this one, I actually didn't go with the original. It's weird. Jack Spriggins... The eponymous Jack lived and slept in the same bed as his grandma, who had the magic beans. He just stole them in that version, and the houses spring up from the leaves as they grow. It's different. The one I told today is the much more widely told version. We'll do one more quick Jack story, and that is of Jack the Giant Killer, the famous Cornish hero. Now, I always thought Jack and the Beanstalk was Jack the Giant Killer because of the obvious. He was named Jack, and he killed giants. But in researching this, I found out that there's this large body of stories about someone named Jack the Giant Killer. He doesn't climb a beanstalk, and his giants were here on Earth. Set in the time of King Arthur, he kills giants that plague the countryside using just his wits and maybe a pickaxe to their heads. Part of the reason these tales were so popular is because they are horrifically violent. Jack gasped and snapped awake. Oh my gosh. He had fallen asleep at the wheel, reins. He screamed and reached for the reins, but found only greasy, matted hair. He looked down. That explained a lot. He wasn't on a horse at all. He was being carried by an 18 foot tall giant. Jack was the only son of a wealthy merchant. And unlike Jack Spriggins, Jack was a smart self-motivated guy. He was a guy with good ideas and the will to see them through. Unfortunately, he lived in a time when you had to keep your head down, because the local giant might rip that head right off if he didn't. He rose to fame after getting fed up one day. There was a giant named Cormoran, who had a nasty habit of snacking on cattle. After finding his father's herds bloody and decimated, Jack gathered his pickaxe and shovel, and hiked to Cormoran's mountain castle. He dug through the night, until morning, when he began to feel a low rumble. Cormoran was awake. Jack looked at the pit right in front of him. He had so much left to do. Heck, he still needed to hide the pit in front of him. The rumble grew closer and closer. There wasn't any time. The door to Cormoran's castle swung open, and the giant walked out. And right into the pit Jack had dug, Jack emerged from the bushes, confused. He asked the giant why the thing just walked into the pit. It was right there in the middle of the road. It wasn't even disguised. The giant shrugged or tried to. He was wedged in pretty well. Then he narrowed his eyes. Wait a second. Did this kid dig a pit for him to fall into? Jack, covered in dirt and clutching a shovel, asked if that was even a question, but then he realized something. Giants? Giants were stupid. Like, walk into a pit in broad daylight for no reason, stupid the giant shouted threats of all kinds, and Jack finally agreed to help him out of the hole and commenced pulling on the giant's beard hair. The giant shrieked, but remained wedged into the hole. Finally, Jack tired of messing with the creature and opted to go mining on the giant's head. He returned to his town and days later, left town. During his stay, he had received a new name, a belt and a sword. His new name was Jack the Giant Killer and his new belt told everyone as much, in verse no less. It was embroidered, and read, here's the right valiant Cornish man, who slew the giant Cormoran. Lastly, the sword. Now, we haven't talked about this, because we've largely talked about the nobility in swords, but for common people, swords were a big, big deal. They were expensive. Not horse and armor expensive, but still super costly for your average peasant. I've heard that this is why there are so many magical swords in folklore. Normal people didn't see a lot of them and they had almost a mythical quality about them. Anyway, this was a huge honor, and Jack understood that. Swords strapped to him, and conversation started at his belt, Jack decided to leave home, and seek the court of the famous King Arthur. Jack hadn't heard of any of the knights in the round table killing a giant before, so that should really fast track his application. As we've learned, early medieval Britain is a big, mysterious place, and after four months of riding around, Jack was starting to think he might be lost he lay down to rest on the edges of the mysterious forest, which was a solidly rookie mistake. He awoke to the smell of matted giant hair, smeared with grease, and the dry blood of the latest victim. Hey Jack! It's so good that you're awake, the giant greeted. Oh, where are my manners? My name is Blunderbore and I'll be your murderer today. Wait, how do you know my name? Jack mustered. Oh, it's on your belt. The news actually just reached me about my buddy, Cormoran. He was the best giant at my giant wedding, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna get the kid that killed my friend. And what do I find when I walk out of the forest? You, sleeping alone, with your belt that told me, hey, Blenderbore, I'm the fellow that killed Cormoran. I was like, this is so serendipitous. Whatever the murdery version of that is. Jack remained silent for the rest of the trip into the giant's castle, deep in the mysterious woods. The giant took him in the main gate, then into a dining room before setting him down. Finally, Blunderbore let Jack walk around a little bit. As soon as Jack touched the ground, he really wished he hadn't. Throughout the giant, giant dining room lay the discarded remains of all the men and women he had eaten. It was like when you go to a bar and they have peanut shells on the ground, but with body parts, Blunderbore gave some unsolicited cooking advice, saying that the human heart was delicious when cooked up with some vinegar and pepper. Jack was young and a bit small, but he would be delicious in his own way. Blunderbore pushed Jack through the dining room and into his own cell, locking the door behind him. He announced that he would be eating Jack's heart tonight, but first, he had to go get a friend that lived in the forest. He'd be back later, and then all the fun would start. Jack heard the giant thunder out of the hallway, and then he heard something else. The voices of people, other captives of the monster. They were mournful voices, repeating the same lines over and over again. Haste, valiant stranger, haste away, lest you become the giant's prey. On his return, he'll bring another, still more savage than his brother, a horrid, cruel monster who, before he kills, will torture you. Oh, valiant stranger, haste away, or you'll become these giant's prey. Jack stood surprised as they wrapped up. Uh... Thanks for that recap of the whole situation, he said to the group. None of that's really new information, but I guess it's nice to hear at cappella. don't stay in a place full of giants that want to eat me. Thanks for the pointer. And I was just about to see how much rent was. I mean, the floor is covered with limbs and skulls of the men and women they killed, which, now that you mention it, is a questionable interior design choice. I wish Jack was that sarcastic and unafraid. I would imagine Jack wished he was that sarcastic and unafraid, too, because he was terrified he had had one experience killing a giant and that was because he mostly fell backwards into success. Now, he was truly in a bad spot. He had been caught unaware and he was the giant's captive. Then he remembered. Giants were idiots. The creature had probably already made some fatal flaw and didn't even know it yet. Jack looked at the long, thick rope that the giant left coiled in the corner. That seemed like an oversight and then Jack looked at the barred windows, and realized that they had been constructed for giants. He didn't even need to slip through them. He could just walk through them, and still have room on either side. He looked at the rope, and did a long climb to the ground, and shrugged. That was the plan then. Get to the ground, run away forever, and burn the belt. Giants were terrifying, and though stupid, were emphatically not messing around. That was when Jack looked out to the forest and saw the pair of giants walking up the gravel road to the castle. He couldn't escape. He was out of time, running wouldn't work. The giants were over three times his height and knew the forest. They would catch up to him before he even left sight of the castle. Blunderbore had taken his sword too, so he couldn't fight. He looked at the rope, then down to the giants approaching the castle, then back to the rope. Jack had an idea. It was a happy day, and it was a sad day for Blunderbore and his buddy. They missed Cormoran, but they finally had his killer, and they were going to eat that guy with pepper and vinegar. Blunderbore put his arm around his friend, and said that it was what Cormoran would have wanted. Well, he would have wanted to be here eating this kid. Actually, being dead would be pretty low on his list of wants, but here they were. Blunderbore brought his buddy in close, for a big old giant hug, the kind that Cormoran would have liked. And if it wasn't for that, the pair might have lived. To call it a a one-in-a-million shot really doesn't do it justice. To loop one giant neck with a hastily knotted noose from three stories up would have been a feat. To loop not just two necks, but two necks at the same time, Jack should go to Vegas in like 1,300 years when Vegas would be built. I don't know what Jack would have done if Blunderbore hadn't leaned in for that side hug at precisely the right moment, but he did. Jack dropped the rope, saw that it looped under both giant chins at the same time, and dove. He had looped the thick rope around the beam above his head, and tied the other end around his waist. When he saw that the rope dropped where it needed to, he jumped from the window, and he dangled there, just above the giants, watching them struggle with the rope, and try to cry out to the forest, for anyone who would listen, for anyone who would help. Jack watched them turn blue, and then stopped moving, He waited for another 10 minutes before untying the rope from his waist. It was about a 20-foot drop to the ground, but he survived. He grabbed his sword from the giant's belt, stabbed the corpses a few times for insurance, and then ran inside. He found the people who had been singing the warning for him. They were three noble women who had been out traveling with their husbands when the group had been waylaid by Blunderbore. He had dragged them all back to his castle, and then the women had to watch while the pair of giants killed their husbands in front of them. They cooked the men and ate most of them. But then, they had a sadistic proposal for the women. They could starve, or they could go free. They just had to eat their husbands. The trio refused, and so they were just days away from starving to death when Jack arrived. Now, the Giants were dead, and their husbands were avenged. They couldn't thank Jack enough. Jack was surprised. He had done it. The first time, with Cormoran, it had all been luck. But now, now he had killed two more giants. And he had done so from a jail cell. Maybe, just maybe, he was deserving of this title. Of this belt. He told the women that it was all in a day's work for Jack the Giant Killer. That was his name, by the way. It was embroidered on a belt, so pretty much official. No, he wouldn't take any compensation. And the castle was theirs if they wanted it he was on his way to King Arthur's Court to join the round table. The only request of them was, if people asked who killed these giants, to tell them that it was Jack the Giant Killer, and that all other giants should shape up, and stop killing and eating people, or they could expect a visit too. He found the horses well cared for, and the women wouldn't take no for an answer, so he rode out, once again, for King Arthur's Court, to claim his place in the legend. Jack will keep running into giants, and does in fact meet up with King Arthur. All that'll come at a later date, though. Honestly, I didn't expect the stories of Jack the Giant Slayer to be so fun and to loop into the other stories from our backlog this well. So we will absolutely come back to Jack the Giant Slayer in time. I want to say thanks to Philister, Jason Toronto, My Lion, Epic Story Lover 90, you're in the right place, Ellen M X X, Imagine Alba, Nigel Robert, Renee Colon, Renee Cola. Forest Tech 13, Wondering, Sylvia 9000, Pita Factor, Sam Sam JC, and Gretel Bean for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much. You are awesome. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is the best place. You can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. Or I've heard from a lot of people who don't have Apple devices or don't want to download it for their computer, and that's fine. Just thanks for listening. And if you want to help out the show, just tell a friend about it tweet about it, put it on Facebook. I'm just really grateful that so many people listen so consistently. I kind of can't believe it, so thanks. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a bone box, a subscription box full of animal bones, and I think human bones, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that are probably more useful than a box of bones delivered to your home each month. There is truly a subscription box for everything now. Anyway, check out support.mythpodcast.com more phone on the membership. The creature this week is the Chromionian sow from Greek mythology. She's a giant pig. Maybe. The ancient Greek world was a great time and a terrible time for you if you happened to be a giant pig. It was great because for a while there you could do whatever you wanted. Feel like a nap? Awesome, go for it. Feel like a nap on top of a small family struggling to breathe? Even better. The world was your mud pit. Like many monsters of Greek myth, the Cromionian sow was the daughter of Typhon, and she was a mother herself. Remember the story of Atalanta and the hunt for the Caledonian boar? Well, the Caledonian boar was actually the Cromionian sow's son. First, she lost her son. Then, her buddy, the Aramanthian boar, got taken out by some jerk wearing a lion cloak. Then it was clear the time of giant, feral, rampaging pigs was coming to an end. The humans were fighting back not just against them, but against all the monsters of the ancient world. Even her father had been thunderstruck, and not in a cool ACDC way, but in the very literal Zeus thunderbolt to the face way. Finally, fate came for the Cromionian sow too, in the form of a weaselly little king from Athens, looking to make a name for himself. Theseus did kill the Cromionian sow. maybe, and he did it not because she was causing problems or hurting people or something, but because Theseus, the upstanding guy that he was, wanted to prove that all of his adventures and exploits weren't done out of necessity, but that he was just as big of a monster-killing hero as Hercules. Undercutting this just a bit was the idea that the Cromionian sow might not have even been a giant pig, but rather just a female robber who was terrorizing the area and causing problems for people she was nicknamed The Sow because of her uncouth manners. I would have thought being an infamous robber would be good enough, but I guess she also used her salad fork on the main course too, prompting the nickname. So yes, either Theseus killed a giant pig that was just minding her own business, or really just an overly rude robber. I can see Theseus instructing the writers, kind of gently nudging them away from him just killing a rude woman, saying like, hey, you know, I actually just had this really fun idea instead of a woman how about like a giant sow she could be the mother of the Arimanthian boar or something she's like the super mean female Ganon that was just terrorizing the countryside and I was all like I don't need to do this but I will because I'm a hero and I killed her yeah write all that down oh yeah that's great I'm great that's it for this week the theme songs by the band broke for free the creature of the week music is by steve Combs. there are links to more music in the show notes and today's episode was written by me jason weiser and produced by carissa weiser thank you so much for listening and i'll see you next time